Well, tomorrow morning I fly out to go out east again to hit the Appalachian Trail again. We'll be on the trail Tuesday morning for four days, starting where we left off last year in the Great Smoky Mountains. In the end of last year's trip, I did what I do after every one of these backpacking trips. I called Amy, because really we have no cell coverage while we're on the trail. So I call her and, uh, and just uh, let her know. So the conversation went something like this. Um, Hi, honey. Just calling to let you know that we're done and everything is fine. Just one thing. Never let me do this again. <laughs> Amy was a bit surprised. I'd backpacked a number of times, a number of times on the Appalachian Trail, and I'd never said anything like this before. I'd never even come close to saying anything like that before. I'm pretty sure that hike last year was the hardest thing I'd ever done physically or mentally in my life. So why am I going back? Great question. Let me think about that for a little bit while we're looking at this passage, and I'll try to get back to you. Turn today, if you would. We're in uh, Isaiah 26. That's page 586 in the Blue Bibles. Before we jump into today's passage, we've got to kind of remember where we've been the last couple weeks. Isaiah 24 talked about how God is going to bring judgment on the whole earth and is going to essentially uh, bring destruction to the earth, or is it broader biblical understanding, the world. And then in 25, he talks about how uh, Isaiah talks about, or God talks to Isaiah about how he's going to swallow up death, as we saw in 25, 7 and 8. And he, that's God, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. That's what we've kind of seen over the last couple of weeks. Kind of reminds us of our study of Revelation. John's mentioned that a number of times and there are a number of parallels drawn between Isaiah and Revelation. This idea that the day is coming when God will bring judgment on the earth and that will bring destruction to the world as we know it as the enemy of God. So that brings us to our today's passage, chapter 26, starting verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you trust in the lord forever for the lord god is an everlasting rock for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height the lofty city he lays it low lays it low to the ground casts it to dust the foot tramples it the feet of the poor the steps of the needy in that day that's the day we've been talking about for the last number of weeks In that day, the day of the Lord we read in the Bible, or the day when Jesus returns, the land of Judah, the land of Judah means the people of God. Now, remember, this is poetry. This is a song. Songs are poetry. And so there's going to be some symbolism. There's going to be some metaphors in here. So we just have to kind of 
follow along. The better we can understand that, the better we're understanding what God's saying through Isaiah. So in that day, the day of the Lord, the day Jesus comes, this song will be sung by the people of God, the nation, or the land of Judah. They will say, we have a strong city. He, that's God, sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. There's two metaphors being used here, two cities. There's the one city, the strong city. It represents the kingdom of God. And when the people of God are in it, they're in the kingdom of God, in that city. The second city is that high and lofty city which represents the world, which is an enemy of God, and we'll get to that in a second. The kingdom of God is strong. It is strong. It is God's strong and powerful salvation. That's, that's what we're the metaphor that's being used, that by going into the city, you go into the, the strength and the power of God found in His salvation, found in His kingdom. It goes on, the gates are open that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. The gates are open to the city. The kingdom of God is available. Now, it's, it's thought a lot oftentimes that people think when they read something like this, oh, I've got to get righteous to enter the city. No, it's in faith that we enter the city and become righteous. We hear that over and over that we, through Jesus Christ, we don't have any righteousness of our own. That we get the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and we're declared just in the eyes of God through the righteousness of Christ. And that's the, the metaphor being used. The gates are open. For all that, that come in faith, in faith in Jesus Christ, they will be made righteous by Jesus Christ. Now the result of entering this, this city or the kingdom of God, we see in verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Perfect peace comes from focusing on God and trusting him. Now, I hear all the time from people that they struggle with trusting God, and I understand it. You say trust God, and people go, yeah, okay, fine, I understand. That makes sense. But actually doing it seems to elude us. I go back to this, this thing that I kind of morphed together from Henry Blackaby's experiencing God. See, our problem is we come to know Jesus Christ, and they tell us we're supposed to trust God. So we come to know Jesus Christ and instantly we try to trust him or we try to obey him. And we don't understand why is it that I can't trust God? I just can't find it in myself to truly trust him because we just don't go from introducing ourselves to Jesus Christ and trusting God. It's a process. First, we come to know Jesus Christ. And we come to know him is to love him. And to love him is to truly believe in him. And believing results in trust. If you have a trust problem, you have a belief problem, which means you have a relationship problem. We need to do it step by step. When we don't, when we try to just short-circuit it, all we do is frustrate ourselves. The same is true with obedience. People say, oh, you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, here's a list of things you're supposed to do or you're not supposed to do. Just be obedient. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Obedience. Didn't work for the Israelites. Isn't going to work for us if that's the foundation of what we mean to know Christ. Knowing Christ is loving him, believing him, trusting him, and then obeying him. 
That's the foundation of trust. And in that trust comes perfect peace. Now, sometimes we think trusting God is, is taking our problems as we see them and turning them over to God. If you talk to me about that, you know, I, I, I kind of say, I don't think that's the way it works. Taking our problems and saying, I'm just going to turn them over to God, meaning I'm going to just remove myself, abdicate and give them all to God, is not what God is looking for us to do. Because all that is is avoidance on our part. Oh, they're my problems, but I want you to handle them, God. And I don't want to be a part of it. No, he wants our challenges in life to be the foundation for us to grow. And we don't turn them over to him. We allow him to work in our lives through our challenges, through our suffering, to teach us how to grow, believe, and trust in him. Trust isn't getting away from our problems. Trust is allowing God to use our problems to cause us to grow and to become mature in our faith. Now there's another city. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city, lays it low, lays it to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. That's this other city, the world. We saw this over and over during Revelation. We've seen that in various forms going through Isaiah. It, it, it's destroyed. It's cast to dust. Now, it's important we define world. People think world, and they're, they're starting to think uh, trees and the dirt. No, that's When we saw in Revelation, the world is the structures that are opposed to God. And there's all kinds of structures out there that we see every day that oppose God. The very essence of the world wants us to what? Believe and follow it. To believe that the world knows what's best. And the world is opposed to God. We see that throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. And that's, that's going to be destroyed. All those enemies of God are destroyed. You know, when you turn on the TV and somebody is telling you to hate this or this is bad, they're screaming at you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that's the world. All of politics, politics is of man, makes it fallen. Government is of God, politics are of man, that's all going to be destroyed. That aspect is going to be destroyed. And how's it going to be destroyed? That's the crazy part. It's going to be trampled by the poor and the needy. It, it's this great reversal that we see throughout the New Testament where the weak become strong and the, the poor become rich and, and this whole thing is turned 180. And it's what he's saying, that, that God is going to use the very people that the world has sought to oppress to destroy it. Go on. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. So does that mean that if I'm in the kingdom of God, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, my life's going to be smooth? Yeah, right. No. I thought so. I mean, that's kind of how, you know, a lot of Christians portray themselves. But if you read the Bible, you find out that's not true. 
Level means that um, there's a peace. Level doesn't mean there's not suffering, there's not challenges, there's not problems that come our way, but there's a peace. You see, there's, there's a peace that comes when there's no fear. And, and that's a critical part. Now, we kind of got to get it right when we say no fear. You see, if we fear God, we don't need to fear anything else. We talked about this last Wednesday night in Wednesday night class. If we fear God, there is nothing that exists that we need fear. But if we don't fear God, then we need to fear everything else. You see, the righteous, those that fear God, remember, fearing God is the beginning of righteousness. Those that fear God, they fear nothing else. What are you going to fear? Death? Got that conquered. Suffering? God promises to get us through that. Cause us to grow. What? What is there to truly fear? Oh, I may not want to get sick. I may not want to break my leg. But fear? No. If I fear God, there is nothing else I need fear. My problem is fearing God. See, we think things to fear are things that are bad. I don't fear good things. I fear bad things. And God is good, so how can I fear God? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I, you know, not trying to compare the Appalachian Trail and the Smokies to God, but when I was there last year, the whole time we were hiking, they were looking for a woman that got lost. And, and from the day we got there, she'd been lost the day before. She's just a day hiker, got lost. And the whole time we saw her picture and ribbons and everything. And the day we came off the trail, they found her body and she was dead. She had gotten off the trail, got lost. You know, there's a sign at, down in Georgia where the trail starts. It says, the Appalachian Trail is much more like a path. And that's what it is. It's a narrow little piece of dirt that, that is rock and, and roots and have been stepped on by millions of people. And, and so everything else is just dense forest. So you don't leave the trail. I don't care how lost you are, you never leave the trail. Well, for some reason... She left the trail and was found dead. Now, I, I know that the Appalachian Trail can be a problem in the Smokies. I, I know things can go wrong. But I treat it with the due respect, and I take the safeguards. But it's a good thing. I'm not going to go to the trail because it's a bad thing. I go to the trail because it's a good thing. God is good. God is the essence of good. God is the very definition of good. God is the source of all goodness. Yet we're told over and over in the Bible to fear him. And if we fear him, we have nothing else to fear. We go on. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance for the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. It's this, it's this weird thing of, of what I call uh, waiting while walking. That's what sanctification is. I mean, we're active and inactive. We're seeking, yet we're waiting. We're seeking Jesus Christ and growing our relationship, yet we're waiting for the work of the Holy Spirit to come and change and actually even transform us. 
That's what it is. And, and it's hard because waiting is something we, we're not used to, and, and we're used to going and getting somewhere. I get the opportunity to work with people in spiritual formation in, over periods of time, and one of the first things they all want to talk about is, when do I get there? When am I going to be there? How long is this going to take? How many books do I have to read? How many times do I have to do this? How many exercises? How many spiritual things? When do I get there? When you die. There is no getting there. Literally, we're on the path, walking on this path, waiting for the Holy Spirit to continue to transform us. That's what sanctification is. It's a little like, again, the Appalachian Trail. The person I go with, Dan, his goal is to hike the whole trail, 2,186 miles. He's 10 years younger than I am, so he's 56. And we've gone, he's gone about 220 miles, 10% of the way. He isn't going to make it. I can do that math. We talk about it. We'll be talking about it tomorrow in the car on the way up. Okay, where do you think it'll end? You know, but that isn't the point. The point is to, to do, to be on the trail, to be on that path, to seek Jesus Christ. Without worrying about where you're going, the journey is the process. The journey is the destination. And then he goes on. For your judgments are in the earth. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. You see, the, the, the micro part of our spiritual formation is about us, about our spiritual growth. The macro part is how God intends to use his city or his, the kingdom of God, his kingdom, his people, to bring justice to the earth. That's what this is about. We struggle with that sometimes, or a lot of times. Over the last 2,000 years, there's been powerful examples of how Christians have brought incredibly positive change and event to the world, both on a macro and a micro basis. I mean, we have the Axe here who are bringing a positive impact to a part of the world in Mexico. They're part of what God is doing to bring justice to the world for the, the most needy people in our continent and, and bringing them justice through believers. That's, that's a part of this. I've said many times, if all the people that called themselves Christians in the world lived out their faith, virtually all the problems of the world would be solved. That's the power of the kingdom of God if we're willing to be used by Him and be devoted to our faith and devoted to His Son, Jesus Christ. goes on. Verse 4, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other gods beside you have ruled over us. For your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. 
They are ashes or shades. They will not arise. At the end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. We acknowledge that we have served other lords, other gods, gods of this world. There's things we've trusted in. There's things we've we've let be our security. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's any number of things that we have allowed to become lords of our lives. And, and the people in that day are acknowledging that. But they also acknowledge all those things, all those other lords or gods are going to be destroyed because they're part of the world. They have no value. It's what Jesus talks about. It's what Paul talks about over and over and over again. It goes on in 15, but you have increased the nation, O Lord. You've increased the nation. You are glorified. You are enlarged all the borders of the land. He's increased his kingdom. That's what Timberwood's all about. Being used by the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God. One person at a time. There's no other reason for Timberwood to exist. If we aren't the kingdom of God personified in the local church in the Nisswa, Brainerd Lakes area, then why do we exist? And the amazing thing is the number of people that, that have come up and given their faith story or the number of people we've seen over the last 15 years who have come to faith or intensified their faith or have grown or have become mature in their faith and have been used by God because of Timberwood, because of you, not because of the institution. Timberwood is the people, is the church, the body of believers. That's what Timberwood is. goes on. O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who withers and cries out in her pains, she is near to giving birth. So are we because of you, O Lord, but we were pregnant. We withered, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your death shall live your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. What in the world does that mean? A lot of symbolism there. Basically, it says we can't do it. We can't do it ourselves. We can't bring about salvation. We can't bring about justice. We can't bring about any of this apart from God. We may try to save ourselves. We may try to save others. But we can't. It's God. Only God that can do it through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But He may desire to use us. And as we saw a little bit ago, He does desire to use us. And then He ends it in a powerful way. Verse 20, 21. Come, my people, enter your chambers, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it and no more cover and no more cover its slain. You can look at that close, it's either really powerful or really scary. And that's what the day of the Lord is going to be. 
That's the way it's always talked about. For those that are in the city of God, in the kingdom of God, those that have chosen Jesus Christ, those that have have turned their lives over to Jesus, it's going to be a glorious, unbelievable day. But for those that have chosen the other city, the lofty city, the city of the world, well, it's not going to be a glorious day. The amazing thing is the doors to both city are open. We choose. We choose what city we're going to dwell in. We choose what Lord we're going to serve. We choose who we're going to fear. Well, then I've had a little time to think about it. Why am I going back? I got no idea. You know, it's one of those things that when you try to describe, it escapes you. I mean, I was sincere when I said to my wife last year, don't let me do this again. I have this image on the second day of this, this hill, this climb, and we're, we're about 6,300 feet, which not real high, but that's not the air I normally breathe. And this hill straight up, and it's the end of the day, and I don't think I'm going to make it. Now, we hike our own hikes. you got to remember, this is four days of being in, in the dark forest. I mean, it's called the Green Tunnel for a reason. Almost no light gets in. It's so thick and so covered, you're, you're, you're hiking in very dark cover, and you're staring at nothing than the path right in front of you. Because a wrong step and you go down, a wrong step and you fall, a wrong step and bad things happen. So you stare at this path in front of you. And so it's about 12 hours of that each day. Who wants to come along? <laughs> so you're in this and you hike your own hike. Everybody hikes differently. So you meet up at night, but during the day you're by yourself and, you, and you're hiking in this green tunnel and you're staring right in front of you and, you, and, you, and you're doing this. Yet there's something about it. Because really, it's just you and God. I mean, you see another person every once in a while, but this time of the year, not a lot. And you have the time to just think. There's no phones. There's no phone coverage. You got everything that you're going to have on your back. And, and you're just trying to make one step at a time. Now, that hill last year, I was doing about 30 feet at a time, and I'd have to stop and get my breath. Took me about an hour and 45 minutes to go up those 600 feet straight up. But it calls to you. I get asked, by people that I, I work with on spiritual formation, well, how do you know? I mean, what makes you believe that this is actually the Word of God? What makes you believe that Jesus Christ is really the only way? I just know. I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to be able to explain it, but uh, there's, a, there's a mystery 
to what the Holy Spirit does when he opens your eyes to the truth of what Jesus Christ offers. When it calls to you and you answer it, you just know. And you have to get on that path. Knowing the destination will elude you until death, but the path is the only way to peace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we acknowledge the day is coming. We acknowledge that your judgment will come upon this earth. We acknowledge that you offer us a way through your Son, Jesus Christ, to be in your city, in that city of salvation, that kingdom that you have well, created through his life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, that's the only place there's peace. Help us understand that. Help us know that. Help us truly believe that so that we can come to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.